helping you make the most of your money. It's time for Talk Money. Now, here's your host, Jim Shoemaker. Well, good morning and welcome to today's program. Whether you're a baby boomer or a millennial, it doesn't seem to matter. A common concern in most households is always money. And I'm Jim Shoemaker, and welcome to today's program, Talk Money. We have a packed program for you today. I mean, it is just going to go fast and furious. We're going to talk about Medicare questions and a lot of questions that we get. You get so much mail about it. You know someone or you are someone who's getting a ton of mail about the open enrollment that occurs in less than two weeks. And that's going to be our first topic. Shannon Dyson is going to go through that with us. Then we're going to dive into the question about estate planning. Do I need a will? What about my beneficiary destinations? A lot of people figure the will needs to weigh about two and a half pounds or it's not a good will. In fact, we have a question that says, hey, I've got a will, but it's so small and simple. Is it adequate? That's a great question. And we're going to dive into some estate paintings. And you will want to definitely stay with us all the way through the program because at the end, we're going to talk about the market and the election. Maybe I should title it Market and Politics. Well, I don't know. We'll talk about that later. But let me introduce our guests today, Shannon Dyson and Scott Jordan. Welcome to the program, guys. Thanks for having me back, Jim. Great to be here, Jim. All right, guys. We've got a lot to cover. I mean, really, I want to – I mean, there's so many – so much question. We're getting questions. If you've got a question for us, just send it to talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com. That's talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com. We will get the question on. And here's our first question. I have received four, they were very specific, four Medicare packets in the mail, Shannon. All seem to be good, and but they're saying, here's the question, but how do I choose the best one? I'm not comfortable calling the company and asking for an agent. And I can understand that question. I mean, I can simply say, you know, if you don't really know a lot about it and you're trying to make a good decision, you want to get counsel before you may. You may call the agent when you're ready to buy, but at this point of getting good advice, sometimes that's a little concern for some people. But I think most of the time, the agent can be trusted. Now, I notice I said most of the time. Obviously, the agent's trying to sell you a particular item of what they're trying to give you is you know their product. They're biased at that point. So the question is, how do I know what to buy? How do I know go go through that? So walk us through that. Start off with. What is Medicare annual open enrollment? Sure. Well, I would first say that they only got four pieces. They're lucky. Yeah, because, they are. Because they are. most will have shoe boxes. About a week and a half ago. Shoe boxes full. <laughs> yeah. uh, there, there are basically three times um, in your life uh, that you either have the opportunity to either sign up or make changes to your Medicare. Two of those are based on life events. So you turn sixty-five or you stop working after turning 65, and then one of those happens every year, and that's what we're in, or we'll be starting in 15 days, which is the annual election period for Medicare. Uh, So if you're already on Medicare today, um, or if you're approaching age 65, uh, like we just said, you're getting a lot of mail, you're getting a lot of mail from the different insurance carriers and agents trying to sell you their product because it is the best product for you. And you know, the problem is products are different. I mean, they're very different. Yeah. yeah. That's kind of a, that's kind of the, 
I guess the issue this person is talking about, they don't understand the products, which I can I definitely I can see that, that as being an issue. And they're 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 on an array of products, and not all of them are all the same. Well, I think the most important thing too the the if you're already on Medicare, this annual election period is really to change your prescription drug plan. Um, if you have Medicare Advantage, you can change that too. But I'd like to focus more on on that prescription drug piece and and the question that that came up: How do I know which plan is best for me? you really can't decipher that by reading the materials that you get in the mail. And the reason is uh, the best plan for you is going to be based on the prescriptions that you are taking. Uh, So anybody that's sending you that information, they have no idea what list of prescriptions that you have. Uh, And it can vary wildly the prices for different prescriptions between carriers and even the pharmacy that you choose to get your prescriptions filled. Uh, We've had people come into the office that have asked us, here's my list of prescriptions. Uh, I go to Walgreens. And so we we plug those prescriptions in. We always run Walgreens and Kroger and different pharmacies just to check. There can be a $300 per month difference in the cost of a prescription just by choosing Kroger or Walgreens or CVS or any of the even any of the prescriptions one is not better than the other they just have manufacturing discounts that are different for different drugs so it's just you don't know what to use unless you actually get into the weeds a little bit which we don't really like to do right which can be frightening (laughs) it can be for sure all right well help us understand the different parts of Medicare because I've had people to come in and they talk about so many. And again, they all seem to know until you ask a couple of questions. Yeah. And so it's confusing. Yeah. So uh, the different parts, the, the main parts that you're getting mail on are the Part D. And this, we just talked about that. That's the prescription. So Medicare Part D is, is prescription only. There's no other coverages that are associated with Part D. Um, go back to Medicare Part A. Uh, when you first turned 65, uh, you were eligible to receive Medicare Part A at no charge, and that covers your hospitalization. So you've paid in taxes your entire uh, adult life. When you turn age 65, uh, you don't pay anything for hospitalization, and that is Medicare Part A. Uh, Medicare Part B is for physician charges. So think uh, if, if Medicare A is hospital, B is any charge outside of the hospital. Uh, any, so if a doctor is in the hospital but that doctor bills you, that's Part B. Anything that has to do with a doctor charge is Part B, and that does have a charge. Whether you're in the hospital or not. Whether you're in the hospital or not. You'll have a hospital facility charge. You'll also have a doctor charge. The doctor that came and saw you, that did ran, ran tests or whatever they did, they could also send you a bill for surgery or, or things like that. Uh, that's covered under Part B. Part B is not free. Uh, you're going to pay a, a premium for that, uh, and it's going to be based on your income. And so that, that will, they'll look back two years to see what your income was two years ago. Uh, if you're turning 65 in November of this year, they're going to look back at 2018 and see what your income was. And that will, be, that will base what your premium for Medicare Part B is. Can you adjust that uh, premium as you go forward? Because the person in 2018 fully employed and now they're retiring and that obviously their incomes in some cases will be lower can you adjust that? Can you can you argue with them? I mean, what it would I mean? You know, if I go from say, you can I'm, always argue. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah, you can. You can always argue with them. But, but. I mean, you get anywhere with correct? It. Yeah, there's one time that you can actually have a life event. So a life event being retirement is one that is considered a life event. Uh, so if 2018 you were fully employed, full time employee, and in, in 2020 you're retiring. 
that's a life event that will change your income. Uh, they have a form. You don't have to argue. You can just fill out the form and send it in, and they are required to adjust your Medicare Part B premium based okay. on that. All right. So there's the form. Do you just simply call Social Security and with, ask for it or go online? With or? things that are going on now, there's a lot of things that are being handled over the phone mm-hmm. that, that have not been in the past. And so, yeah, you can call in. You can send that form. There's a fax number that you can send the form. Uh, we can still fax uh, things, and you can send it to the Social Security office, um, and then they can adjust that premium that you're paying. Okay. Now, I think you've said we're going to be charged for Part B. You've said, you know, they're going to be just a, a plethora of, of different packets coming in. You need to know what you need. And I like what you said. If it's Part D that's coming in, knowing whether it's you go to the one drug you know, pharmacy or another pharmacy can make a difference in the cost. So I think that's what this person wants to know. I, is there anything, any surprises that I need to be sensitive to? Yeah, there, one, of the surpri- the, one of the things that has happened many times that we've seen happen, um, the forms that come in look like you are supposed to complete them. Um, so don't be surprised if you, if well not, not don't be surprised, don't put your name and information on any of the forms that look like it's a little, a little postcard that you're supposed to fill out and complete and send in. That is actually signing you up for coverage. And we've had people that have done that and have been signed up for a plan and did not realize that they were signed up for a plan. Yeah. Uh, so that's something to really be sensitive to is to, to not put your... You don't have to fill out anything, paperwork, and send it back in for Medicare and Social Security. There's an, there's an official form from Social Security. There's an official form from Medicare when you have to do those things. Uh, so be very sensitive to that. And the other, the other piece of that is if you're not comfortable calling in uh, to talk with someone that, about to an agent or to a company, you can always go to Medicare.gov. You can put your prescription list in there, and you can get a list and a printout uh, and see exactly what your prescriptions will cost, um, and it will tell you all of the different prescription providers that are that are in the market. So you don't have to call in if you if you're the kind of person that likes to do it yourself. That's great. If you just tuned in, my guest is Shannon Dyson. We're talking about the question. I'm getting a lot of packets in the mail. You know, the person saying, "I don't know which ones to you know to choose and." How do I know what I'm doing? I'm I'm not comfortable in calling an agent. How do I make sure? Well, Shannon's going through that program and process with you, and that's important. And if you want to listen to this podcast again, simply go to iTunes, type in Shoemaker Financial, and you can hear Shannon talk about the things that people need to know when it comes to selecting and being when you're eligible for Medicare and what to do. But now here's the question, Shannon. I'm still working, a person says, and they're saying, okay, do I need to do anything at this point if I'm just going to continue to work? A lot of people are doing that. Sure, yeah. If you're age 65 or older, you're still getting the mail, whether you're working (laughs) on Medicare or not. No question You're still getting the mail. Um, The answer to that is, is you don't have to do anything if you're still working and you have employment through your job. Um, if that employer, now there are some caveats to this. So I'm not just, if you have an employee that's 20 employees or under, there may be some things that you need to do. And if that's the case, you do need to look into that and make sure that you're signed up for what you need to be signed up for. If you have an employer plan that's more than 20 employees, and that's a key number, the 20 employee number, uh, you don't have to do anything. You can wait. There's no penalties involved. As long as you have group coverage, that is considered credible coverage to Medicare. Uh, so it, at whatever time, at age 69, 70, 71, that you say, okay, I'm, I'm ready, I'm, I'm done, I'm retiring, 
you can sign up then for the other parts of Medicare and you have no penalties to worry about or, or anything like that. There, that is uh, what many, many people are doing today as well. In a few minutes that we've got left in this segment of the program, segment of the program, I really would like to ask you the difference between a Medicare supplement plan and Medicare Advantage. A lot of people get confused right there. And I know kind of delineate between the two. And what are some questions, I guess, that people need to be asking when they're trying to make that decision? That's a great question. Uh, And it is something that is confused a lot, especially this time of year, uh, because Medicare Advantage, this is the open enrollment for Medicare Advantage. Uh, Medicare Advantage is a, a program that is both medical and prescription coverage combined into one. Um, and the biggest difference between Advantage and supplements, I'll say two major differences, uh, Medicare Advantage sits on top of Medicare A and B. And when I say that, that means that it is the primary payer of your insurance coverage. Um, and so since it's the primary payer, uh, there's a PPO network, there's an HMO network, so you have to use their doctors. Uh, if you don't, you're going to pay a lot more out-of-network pricing for the services that you get. Uh, and the doctor networks are regional in nature, so if you're traveling, you're out-of-network automatically. Um, if you need a specialist, the, the networks are fairly slim, so you want to make sure that you're okay with doctor choice if you choose a Medicare Advantage plan. Um, Medicare supplements, on the, on the other hand, they do exactly what they say. They supplement Medicare. So Medicare A and B are your primary payer. And because Medicare A and B are primary, you can go to any doctor that accepts Medicare. So you don't have to worry about a network. If you're traveling, if a doctor accepts Medicare, you can see that doctor because all a supplement does is it just pays what Medicare doesn't. If there's a copay or if there's a deductible, the supplement picks it up. So Medicare pays first supplement picks it up second. And to me, that's the biggest, those are the biggest two differences. And, and they're, they are confused a lot because people will, will say the term Medigap mm-hmm. or a Medigap plan. Uh, and that can mean a supplement, that can mean a, an advantage plan to different people. Uh, but they are com- two completely different programs. Um, you know, and they, and they are, they can, each plan uh, can be good for certain people. I mean, it's, it's not one is necessarily better than the other. I have my thoughts on which one I would prefer to be in if it were me. Uh, but there are people that would, would work for both types of programs. Well, you've done a great job. I think you've answered this person's question. And I want to remind you, if you've got a question for us here on the radio program, just simply give us a call or you can always send it to talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com. Shannon, your telephone number is 757-5757. person's got additional questions, I know they feel free to give you a call. Yeah, we, we, we do this a lot, especially this time of year with the prescription program. It's a, it's a, it can be a maze. It can be confusing. Um, and so we try to, to come in, explain it as best we can, and hopefully um, you leave understanding what you have. Shannon Dyson, 757-5757. If you've got a question, an additional question about Medicare, Medicaid, and, of course, uh, I like the, just a great answer to a very um, – complicated, whether we like it or not, complicated question, how do I make a good decision on which program I take? So thank you so much for answering that question. Scott, I'm going to lean into you a little bit. Here's the question that comes to you. I just had my last will and testament written by an attorney. Now, I think I would have probably wanted to make sure that it was by an attorney based on this question. You know what I'm saying? It says it seems to be 
in quotes, too simple. (laughs) It's only three pages long. And I think they were expecting a lot of other things. Now, I want to make sure everybody understands, too, that we're during, you know, we are not here to provide specific tax and legal advice. And Scott's not going to do that. And this information that we're going to be discussing, I want you to be, understand that it is, you know, you should always consult your tax and legal advisor, before, you know, as far as regarding your own specific tax and legal situation. What we're going to try to do is answer this question and go through this process of really who needs estate planning. But, Scott, it's a great question. It what is. were their expectations and I think, did they get their expectations met? Well, that's a good question, Jim. Maybe they got the bill and they were like, hey, really? <laughs> this yeah. is it? No. Yeah. Uh, I think that's a big misconception that a lot of people have is that the estate planning process has to be overly complex. You know, if those three to four pages convey their wishes and, and pass their property along in the manner that they want to, then that's all that's needed. Now, having read a lot of legal documents, sometimes I would appreciate some of that simplicity. Sometimes, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> sometimes I'm like, get to the point. But no, I understand. They when have I, to cover a lot of contingencies. Yeah, when I got but, this question, I'm uh, thinking, you know, <laughs> don't look a gift horse <laughs> in the mouth, you know. Right. Yeah. right. But uh, who needs estate planning then, Scott? I mean, yeah. this is the question I really think. Who needs estate planning? And that's a great question. And I think most people need estate planning. The misconception is that that's a process that's only for the super wealthy But in reality, everybody has an estate plan, either by design or by default. And let me explain what I mean by that. If if you don't put those estate documents in place, if you don't execute that will, then you die what's called intestate, and the state decides how your property is going to be distributed. And that may not line up with how you want things to go. Give you an example. uh, The state of Tennessee you know, if you die and you have a spouse and children, well, the spouse is entitled to a third or a child's share, and the children will get the rest. Well, that may not be your intentions, and that may leave your um, your widowed spouse in a position where she doesn't have enough assets to maintain her current lifestyle. So it's important that everybody, like I said, that's what I mean by design or by default. You either do it yourself or the state that you live in is going to decide that for you. And, and everybody needs to. Tennessee, Mississippi, Arkansas. Yes, yeah, wherever, wherever you loca- yeah. are located. Know your state law. Absolutely. Seek your tax and legal advice. But we're just trying to answer this question, yet, yet help people to get motivated to do something. We're not in the business of writing a will. That's not correct. in the business of giving tax advice. We're in the business of helping a person guide them through, guide them through this process and, and be of assistance to get something started. What are the basic, then, estate planning documents that people need to be sensitive to, Scott? I think everybody should have a will. We always recommend people get also durable powers of attorney for um, for health care and also financial, and then a living will, that which kind of dictates some directions of how you want things to be handled. But that's what we kind of refer to as the basic package, if you will, that everybody should probably have in place. So you said will, will. and then power of attorney. Power of attorney. Okay, health care. You said health care. Now, I know that health care is critical. If I end up in a car accident or right. have a stroke and I'm laying in the hospital, I know the hospital requires you to come in with a health care power of attorney. Why is that so important for people to understand that you've got to have that if you go into the hospital? Well, it's, it's A, to be able to help make this, some of those difficult decisions, number one, but also just to get basic information sometimes. Sometimes if you're not, if you don't have those legal documents in place, 
they're not going to communicate with you with a lot about what's going on, and that can be very frustrating for a family in, in a difficult situation. Not communicate with your spouse? Potentially, yes. Uh, a lot of people are under the misconception that if they're married, that that gives them some sort of legal right to make decisions for their spouse. And in reality, especially in today's litigious environment, that's no longer the case. So what about my adult child in college? That's a big one. That's a big <laughs> one. So, yeah, you know, we, uh, I know we work with attorney, and that's one of, her, one of her big things that she likes to get in place is that power of attorney for the parents to have on the adult child that's going off to college because, you know, whether it's financial information or whatever you may need access to, uh, for example, if they were in some sort of accident or something that you may need to get access to either their financial information or make health care decisions for them, having those documents in place is critical. All right. Now, power of attorney. Now, you have a general power. I know you talked about that before, mm-hmm. and a springing power. I mean, that sounds... Uh, I'm not sure. Help me out. Uh, And that's one of those things that, you know, the springing power only comes in force under certain situations, whatever their document dictates. For example, it may say this power of attorney is only valid if they're incapacitated and can't make decisions for themselves. That's why it kind of springs into action at that point. Um, And you really have to check with your financial institutions or other people you're dealing with and see if they will even take a springing power of attorney. Some like the durable general power of attorney and don't really like the spring because then they're in the position of having to decide, okay, have, have they met these, these, uh, these directions inside of the document to where we can actually take orders from them? So some don't want to make that decision. You know, is there any guidelines as far as who you give a power of attorney to? Because the power of attorney That's is a big deal. Big deal, big deal. So this is a person you're giving authority to make decisions for you on your behalf, whether it's health care or financial decisions. Big responsibility. It need you know, some people feel obligated to to name certain family members or, or maybe it's one of their children they feel obligated to name, but that person needs to have an understanding of your situation and know how to do what you're asking them to do. So it's a it's a tough decision, needs to be thought through carefully. Uh, you're giving that person a lot of responsibility and a lot, a lot of power over your situation, so you need to pick the right person for that. So let me back up. Was a four-page document enough in this case, or or should we be encouraging the person to go back to the attorney and say, I want at least an eight-page document? Well, I, I think the, the, the four pages could be enough. Now, you bring up a good point. We're actually going to sit down with the client and review that with them and go over that and, and make sure it is going to do everything they want to do. Now, like you said, we don't give legal advice. Legal advice. We, we uh, refer them to an attorney, but we do sit down with our clients because we know kind of their whole financial picture and make sure that that document is going to accomplish what they want to accomplish. So at least go back to the attorney that had drafted this document or to an advisor to get an opinion to yeah. say, are you getting what you're trying to get done Absolutely. in your last one of testament? Critical. All right, when we come back, I want to ask you the question about beneficiary designations, transfer on death, and the last will and testament. Those have to match. Absolutely. That's kind of critical, didn't it? Okay, stay with us. We'll be back in just a second. My guest, Shannon Dyson and Scott Jordan, we're talking about estate planning. Coming up, we're going to talk about investments and presidential elections. You don't want to miss that. We'll be back in just a second. I'm Jim Shoemaker. This is Talk Money. Podcasts of Talk Money are available in the iTunes store. Just search Shoemaker Financial. We'll be right back with more Talk Money after this. 
Jim Shoemaker and Scott Jordan are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Security and Financial Services, Inc. Securities dealer, member FNIRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated. And now back to Talk Money with your host, Jim Shoemaker. And welcome back. We're talking with Scott Jordan and Shannon Dyson. We're talking about the question at this point is, I just had a, my last will and testament done. It's only about four pages. Is it too simple? Well, let me remind you, we as certified financial planners, financial professionals, do not provide specific tax and legal advice. You've heard that already on the program. And this information should not be considered as such. So we're just trying to guide you. If you're going to do you need to, you know, any type of wills or trust, you need to consult your tax and legal advisor regarding your own specific situation. And that's that's very important. We do a lot of counseling with a lot of people, but we always lean into that tax advisor or the legal advisor, the attorney, to make sure it's done absolutely correctly. We're not practicing law. We're not practicing CPAs. All right. Now, let me make sure, Scott, we, we, we have a case that we all have been asked to weigh into and work with the attorney on and try to decipher really what was the intent in this case. And I think it's appropriate for us to, to talk about it because the, the deceased had a will. He changed his will, all, well, with actually within six months of his death. In the process of changing his will, he failed to go back and change some things in, a, in the beneficiary of some items that he had, some, some insurance and some things like that. And, and here's the reality. It doesn't seem to coincide. It doesn't seem to agree. It doesn't seem to be his intent. Now, we have, here's the, the dynamics to this that I think a lot of people need to understand. You have a mom who, first wife, passed away, and you have a mom, stepdaughter, who is the one that's going to be inheriting something because the beneficiary was not changed. What's the problem here? Unfortunately, this happens a lot and a lot more than it needs to. Uh, a lot of people do not understand exactly how property passes at death. So let's let me let me cover that real quick. So you have property passes by will, by contract, or by operational law. By will, the will dictates property that is exclusively owned by the individual who is deceased. So, so I own my car. You own your car in your name. You may own some real estate that's only in your name, or you have a bank account or investment account that's only in your name, not jointly owned. That That's what the will dictates. By contract, what we mean by that is beneficiary designation this is the most common example. Life insurance. Life insurance, retirement plans at work, IRA accounts, some accounts have what's called a transfer on death or a payable on death agreement at either a bank or an investment institution. All those would pass by contract. In other words, the will's not going to dictate how those pass. And the last one's by law, and that's how property's titled known. It could be joint property with rights of survivorship, and that's going to pass based on how that property so is So you owned, mentioned so. the 401k at work. That's yes. got a beneficiary designation. It has a beneficiary designation. And the will does not override either the operational law or the contract designation. So what happens in a lot of cases is people will go update their will or change something, like in this case we've been called into, and they say they may say, I want to leave my, my daughter X amount of dollars, Right. Well, they also have her named on the beneficiary designation, and probably 
did not realize that she would end up getting both of those because she's named as a benefit as one of the beneficiaries on the retirement accounts she will receive that portion regardless of what the will says and you also see this with with property right so jointly owned property passes by operational law so if i have a joint bank account with my spouse the will doesn't dictate that if i have a joint investment account with my spouse the will's not going to dictate that and one of the cases I've seen happen is uh, as, as someone gets older, they may add a child onto savings accounts or money market accounts at a bank for their help, not realizing they could be unintentionally disinheriting any other kids out there. So it's very important that, that you do the will and you do the legal documents, but make sure all of those are coordinated. And a, and a good attorney should walk you through that whole process and make sure that all lines up. And then, up. of course, as the financial advisor, our job is to help look through Absolutely. all those things and with a different eye and right. think through that. And, and the intent being sometimes you look at the attorney drafting the document and then we're working with it from a financial planning standpoint. Yes. It's just a, yes. it's a different look and, and a different way of thinking sure, about it. It's making sure, you know, we try, we, like I said, we understand a lot about the client. So it's making sure we know where most everything is or should. So making sure that everything's lined up and their, their intentions are, are the way they want everything to be and the way they want it to pass. That's well done. Well yeah. said. I think we've also prepared a PDF that I uh, want you to make, make sure that you have a right to go get it. It's estate strategies, critical elements of an estate plan. And I, I really want you to know that all you have to do is go to Shoemaker Financial Facebook page, search for the document, Estate Strategies, Critical Elements of an Estate Plan, and you can look at it. You can review the document if you'd like to. Just simply make it a PDF and print it out. Uh, we want you to get that. We want you to know that it's there for you. It does give you some insight into what Scott is talking about, and I think it's uh, it's got well-written and I think you'll find it to be extremely inter interesting, especially anything from a guardian, if you have minor children, to really why you have to have a power of attorney. And, Scott, you mentioned something during the break about a power of attorney, especially for that young adult in college. Yeah, I've been over here feverishly <laughs> writing notes. Scott is on his game today. Uh, yeah, well. But you, you mentioned, uh, you said power of attorney. Uh, for an adult child at college, and I happen to have uh, an adult child at college. So he's a what, nice guy. He's though. a hey, he's a great kid. <laughs> I still call him. He's a kid, yeah, you know. Yeah. But I guess not legally. What what do I need to be uh, sensitive to as far as you know not having a power of attorney? That's a that's a great question, Shannon. And and see, you you make a good point. We do still think of those children even after they get 18 19 and 20 years old as our kids right. and, and a lot of times we've made a lot of decisions for them both in health and financial well once they become an adult we no longer have the right to make those decisions for them and even sometimes when they may need our help so think about and, and it's hard and you don't want to think about something like this but your child being involved in an accident and maybe you need to make health care decisions for them or Maybe they were working part-time helping support themselves and paying their own rent and stuff, and now you don't have access to their money to help pay some of their bills. So having that power of attorney in place on those adult children will allow you to step in there and make some of those decisions for them should they become inca incapacitated and not be able to make those decisions for themselves. Should, should we, like, if you're thinking through that too, but is it a good idea to have a joint account then on, on that case, a joint bank account? I mean, would you? that would be one way to accomplish that, okay. yes, absolutely. So 
But again, guys, the durable power for health care provisions. Right. I mean, you know, you don't want to think that the, your child's in an emergency situation in an emergency room needs to be able to make some decisions and, and you're not going to be able to do that. But, but we have cases where that has actually happened. And so be sensitive to it. Uh, I'm not telling everybody to run out tomorrow and get a power of attorney for your child. Seek wise counsel, seek good legal and tax advice, and go through that. But we are encouraging you to at least take that step. And so, Shannon, we'll see you in the I office. I think, yeah, I'll, I'll be later. there, and uh, it better be longer than four pages. Well, we're going to shift again, guys. This is the third part of the program, and this is the part I know a lot of people have been waiting for. Literally, presidential elections and your 401k or your investment plan. Let me share something with you. I just read this recently, and it comes from Make of America, and I, and I was very impressed. It says 71%, that's 159 of 224 global, global money managers were surveyed in September of this year. They anticipate that a credible vaccine for the COVID-19 pandemic will be found found and used by 13021 that's within 4 months that's a big deal now that's 71% the 224 managers oversee 800 billion of assets now i wonder maybe if they're biased you know with that but i can understand their thought process here's another thought for you too when we talk about presidential elections and the fact that the economy is coming back and i and i think it's kind of important to know this us ports okay that's uh, they receive ships carrying 2.06 million containers loaded with cargo during the month of august of 2020 that's 2.06 million now, here's the statistic that I find to be very – this comes, again, from the Retail Federation, the Global Port Tracker. They're, they're, it's good information. That's the largest number ever recorded in a monthly survey compiled since 2002. Wow. So we're getting ready. It looks like a great Christmas season <laughs> based on Retail Port Tracker, which is a good thing. So presidential elections, it's in the news. You can't, is this you, an election year, Jim? <laughs> it's election know. year. And whether you like it or not, we're going to talk about it. And we want to talk about it from a standpoint of, is it going to affect your 401k plan, your investment portfolio, your college plan? Is it going to affect your nest egg? Well, I think we need to share with everybody that markets in general, Scott, have performed well under both parties. And you've done a lot of research. Talk about that. That's correct. You know, if you look back over the past 75 years, the S&P 500 has returned somewhere approximately 11 percent. Now, that's through Democratic presidencies, Republican presidencies. The market has been on an upward trajectory. Now, let's, I'll, take a, I'll take a recent example because everybody thinks, you know, the, one of their, when, when whatever their party of choice is, the market's going to do better. And, and you look back at, you know, the, the real estate bubble that occurred during the, during the uh, before the 2008 global financial crisis, that occurred during a two-term free market president. And then you flip that and look at a more progressive president when everybody would have thought the market wouldn't do as well, and we had eight years of positive years of the market under that. So that is not exactly the narrative that would have been talked about leading up to those elections, but that's exactly what happened. I think the point is the mistake investors can make is thinking that 
the person or policies of the president are highly correlated with the market returns. And, and the GDP the usually grows somewhere during yeah. that same period of time. GDP up 3% over that same period. So the, the market figures out how to work under both regimes. All right. That's a, that's a great point. So I think we need to just say this. Then. Neither party can, learn, can really claim to say they're going to be better than the other party. The facts don't support that. Okay. Um, all right. That makes it. All right. So I think with that said, we would like to think that we should stay invested. So should it, is it better? Or do you have a tendency to want to say, well, if my party is the Republican Party, I'm going to build my Republican mindset around my investment portfolio. What's your thoughts on that? I think, you know, again, the facts just don't support that being the way to invest over the long term. The best performing portfolio over the past 120 years has been one that stayed fully invested through both Democratic and Republican presidencies. If you if you look back and, and said, I'm only going to invest when my team's in the White House, either way, whether that be the Democratic team or the Republican team, that portfolio would have underperformed by a long shot. Okay, but Scott, a lot of people, I mean, I can hear people now arguing and saying, well, what about this? This is a social, this is, the times are different. This time's different. Yeah, you, you know, that's uh, <laughs> Dr. Templeton. I yeah, mean, Sir John. And we, Sir John, I mean, you know, but it, that's kind of the danger things that everybody has a tendency to do. How does somebody lock themselves into thinking that I can, I'm going to stay in the market regardless, whatever it happens after the market. You know the election, whatever's going yeah. on, there will be some volatility They're for a month well or two. There very well could be. All right, be. what do you say to someone who says, oh, I can't take that? First of all, I want to acknowledge that that is very difficult. You know, when, when we start to feel that things are out of our control, which the election and the markets are pretty much out of our control, right? We start to want to do something about that. So it's natural to want to act when you're feeling those feelings. But I think it's getting some perspective, like we're talking about, looking back at history and seeing how things have actually occurred, not paying so much attention to what the media is is really kind of blowing their horn about now, and, and staying focused on the facts and fundamentals. I take... I heard I heard Warren Buffett say something. I read something in an article the other day that he said, and he said for half of his career, and he's been a pretty successful investor. I, I would think call most him in agree. the top one or two percent. For half of his <laughs> investing career, the person in the White House has been the person he voted against. So there's an example of somebody that didn't let politics or who was in the political office dictate how he was going to invest his money and let time in the market be his his way to compound his wealth and not try to time the market. If you just tuned in, we're talking about really the economy, your investments, your 401k, and the presidential election. Scott Jordan, Shannon Dyson are here with me on the studio. So we're going through this whole process of what's true and not true and kind of this whole idea. So, And Scott, you're just simply saying that the more you stay in the market, you're better going to, it's better off to be there. Just stay with it. And, it. and you admitted, though, that it can be tough. You can. But you just have to be willing to say, this is a short-term thing. But now here's, a, here's the question that a lot of people think about. They want to radically change this. The, we want to go to a socialist mentality yeah. instead of a you know, capital. What, what's that like? Is that possible? What do we see? Yeah, and I think that seems a, a little more heightened during this latest presidential election that we're going to radically re- re-engineer the economy. And and again, history doesn't support that. So if you look back, um, whatever party got into office, they were usually a, usually only able to get about one piece of signature legislation done 
before they lost control of either the House or the Senate. Because, again, remember, we have our forefathers put together a system of checks and balances into our governmental process. Man, we need to say thank you for that. And that... And that, you know, we get another shot at the president in four years. So if they're if they're going in a direction most people don't like, they're probably not going to win the election in four years. But we also have midterm elections in there where they can lose control of the House and Senate. So most of the time they only get one signature piece of legislation accomplished before they lose control. And well, we'll be talking about this as and, you know, more and more as we get closer to the election. But the reality is that uh, we don't really redo the economy uh, you said one maybe specific legislation. I'm going to talk, Shannon, I want to talk about one specific <laughs> legislation that was passed eight years ago and, you know, with the President Obama. And now they're t- saying we're going to change it if, if, if President Trump stays in office. That's a big deal. Signature legislation is infrequent, but it does happen. But it's sometimes the outcome of it is unexpected and doesn't live up to what everybody said. Well, yeah, you, you hear everything leading into um, a, you know, a new president, new House, new Senate, all uh, by the same party. So now we're really going to have some legislation that's going to move and change things. And the Affordable Care Act was something that, that was, was, was beginning to be talked about right after that election. Uh, 2010, that, that bill is passed, and we're hearing it's going to be a small business killer. It's going to kill small business, the, the healthcare industry overall. It's going to be awful for the industry. And I'll tell you, there are some things within, that, within the law that have caused prices to go up. I mean, there are some issues that we have with the law that we are, are paying for today. However, uh, small businesses, uh, they're booming. Uh, they, of course, pre-2020, uh, uh, and, and I think starting to, to do better again today. But our business, as far as the insurance business with group, uh, group health plans, group benefits, um, it really took off because people really needed some help understanding what was in that law, what was in the bill. And so it had, I think, an unintended impact because I know, remember, I remember thinking I was, let's see, eight or nine, ten years into the business uh, of group health plans and going out and talking with employers and I was thinking, man, this is going to put me out of business. This is going right. to be a single-payer right. system. This right. is going to be over. Um, and then here we it ushers in six or seven years of some of the, of the most business that we had done. And so it's one of those things. I think there was an unintended consequence of what that bill actually did. All right. You talk about an unintended consequence. And yet the media would want you to think anything but that. In fact, if we if, if Mr. Trump, President Trump stays in office, the mindset is, OK, he's going to get rid of Obamacare. He's going to eliminate it. And now there used to be the Affordable Care Act. We talked about it more that way. Now we hear it more talked about Obamacare. Sure, it's sure, now got his name. Sure. more. Are we trying to, to manipulate the, the, the community and thinking one thing? I mean, there is the mindset and you kind of said it, Yankee engineering, whether we like it or not, we survive. Can, is right. that what you're saying? And I think now, yeah, now it's kind of the reverse. If if President Trump is reelected, uh, he's going to take away uh, pre-existing condition limitation uh, coverages for millions of Americans who are no longer going to have health care. And that's just not the case. There will be something put in to replace that. You can't, you know, it's like what somebody uh, has said or many people have said, once you put something in place as far as the federal government, you're not going to take it away. <laughs> it's very difficult to take it away. And pre-existing conditions, I think, is one of those things that, yeah, there may be some tweaks to the system. And trust me, there needs need to be some tweaks to the system. Um, but again, it's focusing on that, what's going to be awful, it's going to be terrible if this, ha- if this happens. There'll be ways around and there'll be new 
plans brought into bear that right. will that will fix that situation. And they'll fix that because you're literally saying there are some needs to be absolutely I mean, there are needs that there are definite needs in the market in the healthcare market today. Uh, that need to be fixed, no doubt about it. Well, I think that's a, a great point. So, again, signature legislation, yeah, okay, we talked about Obamacare. Trump came in and did some tax law changes, and those things happen. And then, of course, you know, you lose the House in the two-year period, Scott, that you were talking about. So it's very difficult, and that's kind of the mindset is that we need to understand everybody can talk about what they want to do, but you mentioned it, the checks and balances that we need to go back and say thank you to our forefathers keeps us from being out of control. And that makes us a very much a patriotic I think we are, and very much constitutionally run from that standpoint of what we do. We have a very solid checks and balances. Okay, question for you guys. And let's just both of you, markets don't really care or like who the president is. They don't really care. Scott? Yeah, I I think, uh, you know, you look at whatever, whether we're talking about the Affordable Care Act or any other piece of legislation that whatever side seeks to put into place, the great companies of this world will figure out a way to stop doing whatever the government wants to punish and figure out a new way to bring shareholder value to the shareholders. That's been the case throughout history. We're That's very one of the great companies. Absolutely. So I think it can be very dangerous to try to that say that any any person or any political group is going to come in and radically change that. That'd be a bad bet against the American economy. Yeah, and to speak to that, uh, Scott, uh, companies, you know, going back to uh, healthcare over the last three years, uh, there have been new types of uh, programs in in the group market that have been brought to the brand new brand new to the market right. ways around certain provisions in the Affordable Care Always, Act, and so yes. there are ways to do things, and and our companies will figure that they out. There's no doubt. Absolutely will, and they have historically delivered value through either dividends or increased share price, and I believe they'll continue to do that. And, and we need to, to make sure our public that our listening audience knows that the great companies of America, great companies of the world, continue to be great companies. Now, some of may change, but they're not, sure. it's not going to be just a blanket, throw a big blanket over everybody and say, mm-hmm. okay, you go away. That's not going to happen regardless. So the truth here is it's hard to discern any direct relationship between the president's popularity and the health of the U.S. economy and the market. That just doesn't work that way. Yeah, it's, you know, some of the best market returns have come when presidential approval rating was in the low, like the low 36 percentile. So the markets are not so concerned with how much you love the president. Yeah, they're not walking around going with cards and putting, you know, and, and keeping. I <laughs> got it. I love it. Guys, I want to make sure that everybody understands that everybody would think, boy, this is the most malicious election. This is unbelievable. Uh, I mean, you know, it sure feels like it it does feel like that. But let me read you a quote. (laughs) Nothing, nothing. I've just read nothing can now be believed, which is seen in the newspaper. Truth itself becomes suspicious by being put into that polluted vehicle. I heard that the other day. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, can you imagine? We have this 24 hour news cycle. Yeah. Right. Can you imagine a 24 hour news cycle back when? Aaron Burr and Alexander Hamilton <laughs> right. had their duel. Had duel. I mean, can you imagine what that would have been? It would have been. That would have made front page. Yeah. But who said that? Nothing can now be believed, which is seen in a newspaper. Truth itself becomes suspicious by being put into that polluted vehicle. Thomas Jefferson. I mean, it just tells you. There's nothing, nothing new, new under the sun. It's uh. just the way we work. Guys, 
I appreciate you, you know, discussing what we're going through and all the things. We'll come back. And if you just tuned in, I've been interviewing Scott Jordan and Shannon Dyson. We've talked about Medicare. We've talked about estate planning and the presidential election in your 401k. If you want to listen to this, just simply go to Talk Money at shoemakerfinancial.com and send us a question. We'll take it or listen to it. Go to simply iTunes, type in Shoemaker Financial, and you can listen to this podcast again. You've been listening to KWAM, the mighty 990, FM 107.9 and AM 990. My guests have been Shannon Dyson, Shoemaker Insurance Solutions, and Scott Jordan is a financial certified financial planner with the firm. If you have questions for Shannon or Scott, you can reach both of them at 757 757- 5757. To find a copy of the PDF I mentioned earlier, Estate Strategies, Critical Elements for Estate Planning, or simply go on our Facebook page and you can type in that article, find it there, find it on our post, and print it out if you'd like to look at it later. Next week, we're going to be talking about misconceptions of a stock and a bond. What's the problem? How do you need to put that together in your portfolio? Drew Johnson and Scott will be back talking about that. And then Michael Powell is going to talk about credit repair prior to retirement and why it's important. That's Saturdays at 10 a.m. right here on KWAM, the Mighty 990, FM 107.9 and AM 990. We're here every week helping you make the most of your money. I'm Jim Shoemaker, and this is Talk Money. Talk Money is produced by Greg Ratliff. Guesting content coordination, Francis Fortner. Production assistant, Lauren Forsyth. Compliance officer, Tommy Armstrong. Mid-South History Moment, Rebecca Brazier and Drew Johnson. We'll see you next week on Talk Money. This material represents an assessment of the market environment at a specific point in time and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results. This information is not investment advice or a recommendation. Investments will fluctuate and when redeemed may be worth more or less than when originally invested. Financial advisors do not provide specific tax or legal advice and this information should not be considered as such. You should always consult your tax or legal advisor regarding your own specific tax or legal situation. Jim Shoemaker and Scott Jordan are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Securian Financial Services, Inc. Securities dealer, member FNIRA SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated.